it's not actually his birthday. And if you didn't know that, spoiler alert, uh, he was probably born sometime in late August, early September. But we have marked our calendars and celebrated a day. We didn't know exactly when he was born anyway. And so marking a day when we can celebrate is a great thing. I love to celebrate uh, the good things of God. And the gift of God given us in His Son is a great thing to celebrate. I don't gripe about it. I know you can say, well, pagan this and pagan that. We acculturated and blah, blah, blah. Here's the thing. At my house, we don't celebrate an evergreen tree. We have one. We celebrate a cross for my sins and yours. We celebrate the birth of a Savior. And that's exciting. I'd much rather do that. I don't call Easter Easter. I call it the Resurrection Day. Most of us do around here. Because that's what it is. It's a celebration of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And at Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Christ, the babe lying in a manger. How exciting it is. I love celebrations anyway. I like to celebrate new babies coming in, even if it is a diaper shower. Anytime we can celebrate birthdays or, or those times, those special events of where God's given even a, the gift of marriage, where we can celebrate uh, you know, those anniversaries and those kinds of things, we love to celebrate. Celebration is part of what we do and who we are. I, uh, several years ago, I, I went to a funeral, of all things. And I never in my life had been to a funeral quite like this. It was a celebration. A celebration of a long-lived life for Christ. She had been a believer for I don't even know how long. And we get there, and her family comes in. Usually the family's already sitting down, and you're, you're already, you see it. But they waited until everybody got there for time of the funeral. And they came marching in, singing songs of praise to Jesus. It was a glorious time. Had a glorious time at that, at that funeral. And, and I tell you that because celebrations are part of who we are, and we like to receive gifts. Oh, I love gifts. I love to give gifts if, when I can. It, it, it makes my heart feel better to give things away if I can. I don't always have the money or the, or the time to give, but I try to. I want to talk today about the gift of Jesus. That's what I want to talk about. So grab your Bibles and turn with me to Luke. We're going to start in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. I don't know how far we'll read, however far we get. The next couple of weeks are dedicated to the birth of Jesus Christ. I'm going to preach the birth of Jesus Christ. That's the whole thing, the gift. The gift of God. So, have you made your way there? I'm going to ask you to please stand, if you would please, in honor of the Word of God and reverence. Here we go. Chapter 2 of the book of Luke. And it came to pass in those days... There went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that... When, while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful. Grateful for the gift of Jesus. 
Oh, what a glorious time to be alive and to be a part of your New Testament church. We celebrate the birth of Jesus, Lord, the one who would take away the sins of the world. Oh, thank you so much for that. Bless the reading of your word and bless those who hear it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So I read the first few verses, and we already get a sense of what's happening. The birth of Jesus. Now, there's a lot of things leading up to this point, and we're going to talk about all of those. So I want to get to right to the meat of this, uh, this whole idea, and I want to talk first about the prophetic witness. Prophetic witness. Let me make sure I enunciate that correctly. The prophetic witness of Christ in particular. So we're going to go, and uh, I'm going to take you to... First, the, prophet, the prophetic witness is in Isaiah. I, and you can, you can be turning there. We're going to be looking at a couple of passages in Isaiah. Um, Isaiah 9, 6, 9, 6 and 7, and then Isaiah 7, 14 as well. So let's take a look first at um, <clears throat> here. And let me give you a little background. 600 years prior to Christ approximately, Isaiah preaches about a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name will be called Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus was predicted to be born. Predicted to be born in Bethlehem, we'll see that. Predicted to be born of a virgin, we're going to see that. There's a lot of specifics around the birth of Jesus. Now, why is it important? Well, because the birth of Jesus is so important to what God's plan is, God makes sure that we can see it clearly. Now, I don't understand all the, all the reasons why that the Jews have a problem with the coming Messiah. In fact, some of them didn't, and you'll see that. But the ones in power struggled with Jesus. In his three-year ministry, which Mark tells us about, you see him hated by religious authorities. You see him hated by authorities in general. Because Jesus upsets the apple cart. He, he divides the power structure. But, but who, can, who could hate a baby lying in a manger? Who could hate a baby born on a cold winter's evening? Well, a cool winter's evening anyway. Who could hate a baby? Well, believe it or not, there are some who do. But let's go jump back into Isaiah and take a look at what the prophet said. Take a look, if you will, in Isaiah chapter six or chapter nine, verse six and seven. It says this: For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now we read it there and we see something coming. We see Jesus coming. Well, it's not specifically by name, but you see other names that he's called. And in all the names that Jesus has, these that are found here are going to come at different and sporadic points in your life as well as the life of Israel. It's exciting to see God giving us verse at a time that a son's going to be given. 
let me give it to you, though, from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Just a couple of chapters back, he says, Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Because we as people need a sign, right? I mean, people need signs. That's what we need. Everywhere you go, there's a sign. There's a sign on front of our building to tell you this is Cornerstone Baptist Church. So God decides He's going to give us a sign, something out of the ordinary that you would notice. Here's what it says. Scripture says in 7.14, Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. Now, I know how babies get here. I've had three. And I'm going to tell you, virgins don't conceive. That doesn't happen. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking something other than that happened. I mean, there's no other way around that. Except with God, all things are possible. So we're going to say when God says a virgin shall conceive, a virgin shall conceive. It's not hard, not difficult. It's just hard for us to understand it. Oh, and bear a son. Not just any child, a son specifically. And shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. How exciting. How exciting for us to know that God is going to entertain us with a sign. He's going to give us something so that we know this child is special. That there's something about it that's different. That's exciting. You see, Matthew and Luke, the book of Matthew and the book of Luke, both give us a testimony of Jesus Christ's birth. Different angles, different looks at it. But they both give it. Now, while Mark uh, doesn't do that, he only accounts for the three years of, of Jesus' ministry. Luke, uh, Luke goes into detail about his birth. And then John decides he's going to talk about his divine nature. We'll talk about that some next week. Give you a hint on where we're going to be next week, right? But there's something interesting that happens when you read about Jesus in the Old Testament. He's there from the beginning. He's there mentioned in Genesis chapter 3 about the, the, the child being born and, and bruising the head of the serpent. We see it. He's mentioned all throughout the, the Old Testament. The prophet Micah said that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, and he was. The prophet Hosea said he'd be called out of Egypt, and he was. Many prophets said he'd be from Nazareth, and he was. Matthew assembles those specific prophecies starting at the end of chapter 1 and going through chapter 2 in order that he might strengthen his argument that this child is indeed the promised king. How exciting! Now, they didn't see him that way. Although they should have taken some notes, the wise men showed up, remember? Oh, the wise men. Now, we'll, we'll get to them in a little bit. But as far as prophetic verse goes... We see Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. Let's take a look. And the Lord said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and every beast of the field. Now let me give you a little background here. The serpent beguiled Eve. Now don't get me wrong, it's Adam's fault. But there was deception going on from the serpent. The serpent deceived Eve. Eve ate. Her husband with knowledge ate. And sin fell upon every man. From his life onward. Let me finish that passage. It says, Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity 
between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. There's going to be a fight. And at the moment when Satan says, oh, I've won, he's really lost. At the moment of the cross, at the crucifixion of Christ, when Jesus Christ died, there had to have been a moment of celebration on Satan's side going, we did it. But then the realization hit. Jesus was fulfilling God's plan. He didn't come to do away with the law, but to fulfill it, he says. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. How exciting. And he's going to bruise the serpent's head. Oh, oh he's going to do more than that. He's going to crush it. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 13, we kind of read. Hear ye now, O house of David. It is a small thing for you to weary men, but will ye weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Love that passage of Scripture. What a, what a great testimony for what is to come. Now remember, 600 years has to fly by. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be a little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from old, from everlasting. Jesus Christ in the beginning with God and was God, John says. And the Word came forth, right? And that's who Jesus is. The incarnate Word. He said He would come from Bethlehem, out of the tribe there. It's exciting to see it. Now what's crazy for us is the, the actual ability of Scripture to be so predictable. Now, here's what the problem is. Most of the world will say, well, the Bible was written by men. Absolutely. God uses people. Here's what he does, though. He does it in time where we can't say that it was something that we did. He writes it hundreds of years prior to the coming so that we can see it coming and yet know it's of God because it's prophecy. See, prophecy doesn't matter if it doesn't come true. There are lots of people who claim prophecy this and prophecy that. But prophecy matters when it is coming true. And God says he'll come from Bethlehem. He does. God says he'll be born of a virgin. He does. And he shall be king. His name shall be Emmanuel, God with us. You say, wait a minute, his name is Jesus, not Emmanuel, but hang on. What does Jesus mean? Jesus is Savior. See, first He has to be Savior. And He has to come as Savior. See, for God to be with us is to be born in time. For God to save us is a different thing. He had to be outside of time. Now, I'll let you stew on that for just a little bit until we get back to it, okay? Jesus came exactly 483 years after the prophecy in Daniel. Daniel chapter 9, verse 25 or 24 says, Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. 
Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The streets shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. 483 years. Jesus shows up on the scene. Something weird about his birth and, and all of that, we're going to take a look at it. So we've seen the prophetic witness. Now let's talk about the angelic witness. Because we've come through the Old Testament looking at it, and now we need to see God's announcement. Oh, don't you love singing? See, I love Christmas songs, and I love this time of year. Where, In fact, I think we're planning a trip to, to go around and do some caroling. Talk to my wife about that, and, and, and she, she's got that all kind of set up. We're going to go around, and we're going to sing some songs. Love singing. I, I love proclamation. I love the proclamation of God's Word. I love to hear really good biblical preaching. Love to hear it. There's something that happens, though, when God says, I've got something to tell you. And the birth of Jesus was a celebration time. And we see the angelic witness. I want you to go with me, if you will, back into our passage. Verse 8 of our passage in Luke says this, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill towards men. See three things in their announcement. First you see the announcement, the sign and the wonder. How exciting is that? You get to see something here that has never happened in this context. God is doing a work, and He's making sure that people know it. Now, He chose shepherds. Shepherds, by nature of their work, are generally considered the lowest class of people in the, in the day. They're the guys that travel. And, and they, they tell big stories. It's kind of like fishermen. Oh, we know about some fishermen in the New Testament too, don't we? You know, you know the story about the one-armed fisherman caught a fish this big? But here's the thing. Told the lowliest that even a king could hear about it. The proclamation came. Oh, what an exciting thing. The sign, the sign was there. You'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. I don't know what, what the hillside looked like that night outside of Bethlehem. But here, here, here it's very distinguishable. Take a look again in our passage. It says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David. Now they had to know which city was the city of David. That's Bethlehem. Bethlehem is the place of the birth of the Messiah. And here's what it says. And I bring you good tidings of great joy. The Savior, 
Now in the King James, we spell it S-A-V-I-O-U-R. That's a specific person. Now the word Savior, S-A-V-I, let's see, S-A-V-I-O-R, is someone who saves. S-A-V-I-O-U-R is a specific person who is the Savior. That's Jesus. I like that. I like that right here. Because unto you this day is born a Savior, the person of Jesus Christ. Now, why is that? In, in that why is that important? Well, because it wasn't someone who just saved. Someone could show up and save people from this or that or whatever. When I was a young boy, uh, my, my best friend in the world, I, I jumped off a bluff and nearly drowned. And he saved me from drowning. But he's not my Savior. My Savior is Jesus Christ. See, then you see the sign. Wrapped in swaddling clothes. You know, it's just like God to give us a wrapped gift. That may be a simplistic view. But you'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Now why would the Lord of glory... As a baby, look, I have a, I have a granddaughter. I have three children. I have never had to lay my kids in a manger or feeding trough. We had cows and pigs when I was growing up. You don't put kids in those things. You don't. Here's the thing. There was no room for them in the end, right? They, they had to make a, a place. He needed a place to be able to be laid down, and they found one. A babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. He was tightly buttoned up, swaddled, so he could feel the comfort, and then laid in a manger. That's the sign. And I, I can't imagine the shepherds on the hillside that night. Pay, pay attention to what they did. Let's take a look. Go back up there with me. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. They're just doing their job. But wait for it. Verse 9. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. Now, I don't know if you've ever been surprised at your job. Let me back up and say it like this. I don't know if you've ever just been sitting outside and something surprises you. It's generally not a good thing. Right? I went camping when I was a kid, and and we, we spent time out in the, out in the woods up uh, on my grandfather's farm. And there were several times something would crack in the distance. We'd hear a sound over here. And we'd be up and startled. Imagine that kind of fear multiplied because the heavens open up and the angel of the Lord shows up with all the Shekinah glory of heaven opening up to these men and they're sitting there on the hillside when all this takes place. I don't know about trumps and all those things that happen. Here's what I do know. I know that besides the angel of the Lord showing up, there was a whole heavenly host that showed up to praise God. That might make you think a little bit. Something peculiar happened that was different than anything else. Why this announcement this way? God has come before and spoken through angels. 
angels and other things like that. But this time it's different. It's a proclamation. It's out there. It's an announcement. So exciting. You know, heralds back in the day used to run into the town square and they would be town criers. Before that, there were heralds before kings come. I mean, even John the Baptist showed up before the birth of Christ to be the forerunner of Jesus in his ministry. And you see all these things that are, that are taking place with these shepherds and the sky splits open and there's heavenly hosts making praise to God. Something's different. This is something that's never happened anywhere. We don't see it in the history of Scripture. Now, we see a pillar of fire in the Old Testament. Pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. We see God showing up in that whirlwind. We see God showing up in a burning bush and, and things like that. Every time there's a significant announcement, we see God show up in certain ways. This one's different. Something beyond the natural. We call it supernatural. That's exciting. Because what God is announcing here is something that's going to affect humanity past, present, future that's beyond anything we know. We got the announcement, we got the sign, and then the wonder that all show up here. How amazed are these guys? Let's, let's go back to our passage here real quick. The angel said unto them, Fear not. Now, they were probably face down when all this is going on. Because when you're scared, you hide your face. I read in the book of Revelation where people are hiding their, themselves in mountains, trying to hide from the face of him who sat upon the, th sat upon the horse, right? They were, they were begging for the mountains to fall on them so that they couldn't see his face. Anytime that we see God in the Old Testament, I remember God hid Moses in the cleft of the rock as he passed by just his hinder parts so that, so that it wouldn't kill him. There was a fear that was going on that was something beyond any normal comprehension of fear. These guys were shepherds. They're used to lions and bears and things like that out in the wilderness, and wolves and all those kinds of things. So these are hardy men. But here's the thing. The sky splits and the heavens open and there's a multitude of heavenly hosts and, and it's a wonder in it all. And the angel says, fear not. Oh, that must bring him comfort. You see, when God shows up, it's a, it's a little bit of fear that goes on. And even in salvation, there's fear. The unknown fear of what God's going to do, what He says He'll do and what He does, and, and all of those kinds of things, there's a little bit of fear with it. And there should be. A little reverential fear. You should fear the Lord. These guys were just doing what, what they were supposed to do. Fear the Lord. You don't come across something that supernatural and not fear it. Now, it's not about being brave. It's about the surprise of it all. And the wonder kicks in for them. Now, thirdly, we've got to talk about something else. The historical witness. Now, the prophetic witness is important because it tells what's coming. But historically, we need to see some other things. 
the names given. Jesus, Savior. In the Hebrew, it's Yeshua. Jehovah is salvation. In the, in the Greek, it's, it's Christos, anointed one. It's Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is his human name. Christ is his title. And Emmanuel is who he is. It's not complicated. We just want to make sure we get everything correct. Wise men from the east, Persia or Babylon. We see their, their reckoning of him. Let's go there real quick. Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2 and beginning in verse 1. It's a passage of scripture we know well. Here's what it says. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. Now, I know that everybody thinks of the three wise men. You see them all right here. There's three of them. Can you tell which ones are which? Well, that would be this guy. And that guy right there kneeling. And that guy over there with that big pointy hat. That's the Byzantine interpretation, by the way of the three wise men. There was probably more. But let's say there were just three for now. We'll just kind of go with that. But I believe there were quite a few more. I believe they had a whole entourage of wise men. They show up. Now, we don't see where they're going to show up just yet. It's coming. But we know it was in the days of Herod the king. Herod was a puppet of Rome at the time, and there was a, a, an issue with Herod. He was a terrible king in Israel. What, what uh, Rome would do is when they would come in and conquer an area, they would leave a puppet king in place so that they could control the area. You have to have somebody, usually of, of the people you've conquered, to maintain the discipline around the people. And so he, he is Herod the king, and he's a horrible leader. And he is threatened by anything that would depose him. In fact, he would end up killing his sons because of that very reason. He feared losing his power. But that's a whole other story. Historically, we'll, we can go through that. But here's something right here. Listen to this, verse 2. Uh, came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. Now, they came to Jerusalem because it was the seat of power. The seat of power. Because the expectation is, is that a king has been born, and we need to go where power is structured right now. And that's in Jerusalem. That's what they knew. Wise men came from the east. Now, this is probably from the school uh, Daniel from the time of the Babylonian captivity. There was a school established that taught Hebrew history, taught of the watching of the stars, taught of the watching of the things that happened and, and, and prophecies that were going on. And, and the funny thing is, is in the description they give Herod when they show up, we've seen his star in the east. See, there was a, a prophecy coming here. And so these wise men who are taught, not by Daniel specifically, but in that school, probably in Babylon, there is a, a now a connection being made. And they think, well, we've got to go to Jerusalem right now because that's where the power is. That's where kings are. And if he's going to be king of the Jews, he's going to be in Jerusalem. Now, they may not have understood that he was going to be born in Bethlehem. That's okay. They'll find out. They'll find out what kind of guy Herod is, too. But let's read on just a little further there in our passage in Matthew chapter 2. 
Where is he that is born, verse 2, king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. It's funny. The wise men, the learned men, came to worship the king of the Jews. Man, they're light years ahead of most people. Light years ahead. How is it even possible they know to worship Him? How, how would they know that this is the Messiah, the one that has come to save them, the nation Israel from their sins? How do they know? They're wise men. They've been studying it. Take a look here. <clears throat> Here's our passage uh, again. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled. Of course he was. He's the king. Uh, these guys came and blew into town with this big entourage. Now I can understand here why Herod's probably a little, you know, put off. It was a little off-putting to have these guys show up. They show up with all their entourage and they're here to worship a king he didn't know anything about. That was born around there somewhere. Now, that's not news you want to hear if you're the king current. You're telling me there's a king born. Well, tell me, where is the king that uh, I might go and worship him too, right? Wink, wink. Yeah, sure, I'm going to bring a sword. But, you know, hey, I want to worship him. Right. Listen to what he says. When Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. I can imagine the entourage showing up, and it upset everybody. And it gathered all the chief priests and, all, and the scribes of, all, of the people together. He demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least of the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor that shall, that shall rule my people Israel. Now you'd think Jesus, or Jew, or Herod being a Jew would know the prophecy. Maybe he was gone from Hebrew school that day. Don't know. But he inquires of his wise guys, his chief priests and the scribes, and says, Where the, where's this, this king going to be born? Oh, well, the the. You know, Book of Micah says Bethlehem. Okay. So he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Well, all right. So he tells the wise guys. <laughs> I like when I say that. They said unto him in Bethlehem, right? Verse 7. And then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. Now Herod's no fool. He's got from his chief priests where? Now he's going to gather from the wise men when? Now, it's not so that he can go and worship him like he's about to tell these guys. It's so that he can go in and find every kid born in Bethlehem under this particular age. Not so he can adopt them all and, you know, everybody can all live in the palace and all that kind of stuff. No, it's so that he can crush them, kill them off. Because any king 
baby or not, is a threat to his power. And I tell you all this so that you understand, Jesus is born, and there's a, a power grab that's about to happen that Herod can't stop, although he tries. And people for centuries have been trying to stamp out Jesus because he takes power in a way that the government never can. He takes power in eternity with eternal things. And that's power that no government on the planet can take. Governments have come in and squashed the Word of God. Governments have come in and crushed the church of God. You know what happens when you squeeze a grape? Put a grape in your hand sometime and squeeze it and see if you can hold all the juice in by squeezing it. Ah, you can't. The government of, the, of, of Rome and of the Jews is going to try to squeeze. And we're going to watch the dysphoria happen in the, in the book of Acts where the gospel gets spread. Because, see, the kingdom is not of this world. It's of the world to come. And that's a power that governments of the earth can't fight. And see, they fight with carnal means. We fight with spiritual means. Christ is about the eternal. That's what they didn't understand. People were claiming Christ and dying on His behalf. That's power. You can't stamp out a, a, a king who, who has willing participants in death. They, the, the disciples of Christ went willingly to death, singing His praises, knowing they were going into the kingdom come and excited about it. And who can blame them under the trials of this life, especially under Nero and some of the other uh, tyrants that rule Rome or even the local prefects? They were, they were getting brutally brutalized just all the time. They were ready to go. They didn't want to die but if they were going to die, at least they knew Jesus and they knew the kingdom they were going to. Oh, that's a different kind of thing. You can't stamp that out. Oh, they're going to try. Let's take a look in our passage. Here's what it says. <clears throat> Skip down just a couple of verses here. We'll just go right on. Uh, verse 8. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king... They departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. He wasn't a baby. This time he's not a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. A couple of years have taken past, gone past. He's now a toddler. They found his star a couple of years earlier and have been making travel arrangements and gone through the, the proper channels in the area, and now they've come to where the child was. Here it is. When they... Uh, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. See, God's already making provision. Yeah, we're not going back to Jerusalem. 
We're going the long way around. Herod's has a desire to kill the child. God is warning the wise men not to go back. So they don't. They go another way. You know, it's interesting, and in, in you, you historically you read of all these things going on. I mean, even the book of Matthew itself, when, when the book, he goes back and goes all the way back to Abraham. It was lineage for them, for the, for the Jews. They desired to know the lineage. Give us the lineage. We, we want to see proof that he's the Messiah. Prove that he came from a line of, of David. Written to the Gentiles, Luke's, from Luke's perspective, so that you could see his lineage that way. Mark and John were silent because the, the intent of theirs was different. John focused on the divinity of Christ. And Mark describes only the three years of his ministry. So, so we, in the two accounts we have of the lineage, there's a historical markers that go back and define the lineage back. It goes all the way back through Mary's lineage in Luke and through Joseph's lineage in, in Matthew. Those two things are needful for the position and the writing of, of the time. The Jews needed to have the lineage. The Gentiles desired it, but it was for them specifically. Now let's talk about point number two this morning. In our passage in Matthew, I want, to see, I want you to see the presentation of God's gift. Now the first thing we learned, right, <clears throat> is the predicted coming of God's gift. And now we're going to see the precedent of God's gift. First, let's see the conception. Go to with me to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, then Joseph, her husband, being a... Oh, I'm sorry, she was found with the child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But when he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Okay, so first things first, the conception. The conception is important here because it's a manner of conception. The gift comes and it, there's a conception that's different than everything else. And Joseph is going to be the primary caregiver of the, of the child. So he needs to be notified. But something else happens first. Mary gets notified. Let's take a look. The birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When it, as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Now that's an important announcement there. Babies don't come about by nothing. Except when God's involved. And God gives her a child through the Holy Ghost. How exciting is that? Before she ever knows a man, before she knows her husband, she's been espoused to him, but they haven't come together yet. There was a, a waiting period that happened. Essentially, they're married, but they can't come together just yet. They have, they're, they're, they're in the espousal period. And in that period, there's, there's no coming together. And she's found with child. Joseph's got a problem according to Hebrew law. 
it appears that Mary, his espoused wife, has been unfaithful to him and he was going to put her away. But he, he was a just man, he was a good man, and he didn't want to do it publicly, so he wanted to put her away from himself or divorce her privately. But here's what happens. Joseph gets a dream, or gets a visit, I'm sorry, gets a visit from an angel who tells him, don't worry, you can take Mary to be your wife because the child of her, in her is a child of God, the child of God child of the Holy Ghost that's something special see Joseph wanted to do things right he was a good man a good Hebrew man and he wanted to take care of his family the right way but this little hiccup came along called a unplanned pregnancy at this point right and he was going to divorce her because she had been unfaithful but along comes the angel and here's what he says the angel's announcement. While he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Pay attention to a couple of things there. Call his name Jesus. It's going to be a son. Call his name Jesus. Now, Jesus is a very specific name. By the way, it's a very common name of the time. Yeshua, Jehovah, saves. Same name we get from Joshua back in the Old Testament. And we see it here. Pay attention to something. Let's, let's look at that again. For he shall save his people from their sins. That's an important one. Because you find something else about it. You found out his purpose in coming. He didn't just come and show up uh, to be the Messiah and, and he has a purpose in it. And can I tell you that every single person who's been born again by the blood of Jesus has a purpose. The purpose is the same. My hope for you is that this Christmas we'll see the purpose again. My hope for you is that in this purpose you'll see Jesus needs to be proclaimed. You see, the wise men, they were proclaiming to Herod about the child being born. The shepherds abiding in the field were proclaiming what had been proclaimed to them by the angel. Jesus comes along and is proclaiming Himself Messiah, Savior. All of His disciples made proclamations about Jesus being the Messiah, the Savior. Throughout church history, we learned in Sunday school this morning, all throughout church history comes down to one thing, the Messiah, Jesus saves. That's why we have a local New Testament church that preaches the gospel because Jesus saves. It's His witness. His witness. This Christmas, will you be His witness and give the gift of Jesus to your family, to your friends, and be the witness for Christ that He's called you to be? I hope so. Let's stand.